Well, hello and welcome to Purpose Church. If this is your first time or your hundredth time, we are so excited that you are joining us today. And we don't take it for granted that you're tuning in to participate and to join us for worship today. Wherever you're streaming this from or watching this from, wherever, whatever environment you're in, we are so glad that you are tuning in today. We have a few exciting announcements and updates for those of you that are a part of Purpose Church or have been thinking about what's going on at Purpose Church. The first announcement is this. Beginning October 11th, we will have not just one, but two outdoor services. Our, our outdoor service at 945 has grown to over 500 people and we've been able to safely provide an amazing worshiping experience. And so we want to expand that to two services. So beginning October 11th, we will have an 8.30 a.m. traditional outdoor service and we will have a 10.30 a.m. contemporary outdoor service. We will continue to offer our online services at 8.30, 945. 45 and 11.11 a.m. And, and then you can watch those throughout the week whenever is convenient for you. And I really am excited to share with you that last Sunday, we had six people take their next step of getting baptized here at Purpose Church during our outdoor service. It was an absolutely phenomenal time. Now, Purpose Church, as we begin our uh, time in, in the book of Esther, and before we begin our time in the book of Esther, it, it's important for Christians to remember that whatever is close to God's heart must be close to his people's heart. And whatever it is that breaks God's heart must break the hearts of his people. And it's why I want to talk about, just for a few minutes, some things that are going on right now. I, I want to begin by acknowledging that a few weeks ago, there were some unnamed officers, a 24-year-old and a 31-year-old, who were surprise attacked and shot while sitting in their car. And like many of you, as I watched that video, I was angry and I was hurt and I was confused and and speechless, not sure what exactly to say or to do with all of the feelings I was experiencing. And we recognize that for those of you that are especially in the law enforcement family, that when you saw something like that or you see something like that, it hurts at an even deeper level. It instills even more fear. And we as your pastoral team at Purpose Church want you to know we hear you. We feel that, we, we love you and we care about you and our hearts are breaking over that. We also acknowledge that there is so much pain and hurt going on in our world right now. You know, I'm recording this on a Thursday evening, so I'm not sure what's going to happen or what has already happened this weekend, but just from my vantage point on Thursday evening, there are a lot of people that are hurting in our country right now. With the verdict in response to Brianna Taylor's death, with, with the officers that have been shot in Louisville, our hearts are broken over this. And church, I just want to invite us, this was kind of the word or the thought that came to my mind. I just want to invite us as a church to, to embrace a posture of compassion. Because the hurt going on in the world right now is hitting everybody. 
And we as the people of God follow Jesus, our Savior, who modeled compassion. And so I want to just pause for a minute and just lament and acknowledge that things are hard. That life is painful. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, our hearts are grieving at the turmoil and the violence and the brokenness that is a part of our country. God, we we pray over those officers who are healing right now, who are in recovery, who are fighting for their lives to survive. Jesus, we pray protection over them. For the officers here and law enforcement families at Purpose Church, would you guard their hearts? Would you protect them? Would you love them? And remind them that you have compassion over them and would we have compassion? And God, you know, you see the brokenness better than we could. Would we as your church empathize and be compassionate towards those that are hurting? And Jesus, may we follow your example. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I I don't think it's any accident that today we are studying one of the most dynamic, gifted, bravest, coolest leaders in the entire Bible. Her name was Esther. And Esther shows us, gives us a picture of what a powerful life looks like when it is defined by righteousness and justice. The book of Esther is really a prophetic call to anybody who is a follower of Jesus that it is our job to know the heart of God and to be bold and to be brave. And there's some people who would even dismiss the book of Esther because they would say the name of God isn't even mentioned in the book of Esther. But in her book, Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, she says this, God is the unseen presence woven throughout the entire Esther narrative. You're going to see how her dependence on God is what enables her to follow him and to be obedient to him. Because Esther has a heart of righteousness and a heart of justice. In Psalm chapter 89, verse 14, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. God has always called his people to prioritize being righteous in right relationship with God, and that will always result in acts of justice. In fact, throughout the Bible, the word for righteous and the word for justice are oftentimes interchangeable. You know, I don't know about you, but I love a good movie trailer. In fact, my wife and I, before we watch a movie or a new TV show, we'll watch like 20 different trailers because a great trailer will give you a taste and a picture of what the movie will be like. And I know this is just going to sound like a massive contradiction coming from me because I am not a big fan of Star Wars. Just going to say it out there. I know that offends like everybody, but I am a huge fan of Mandalorian. I mean, I just can't 
can't get enough of it. And I just saw the season two trailer for Mandalorian and it made me want to like watch it right now because it's gonna be such an amazing series. And what I wanna do is I wanna give you a movie trailer overview of the book of Esther and then we are going to dive deep scene by scene to discover together that Esther had a complicated and a courageous comeback. So here's the overview of the book of Esther. It begins with King Xerxes. King Xerxes, he was the Persian king from 486 BC to 465 BC. And he ruled all over the Persian empire. He ruled all over from India to Kush, all of this land covered in red. He ruled over it. And after his reign had began, he threw a 180 day celebration. He he grabbed all of his friends, all of his royal officials and celebrated his victory. And then after that, he threw a seven day party. Now you would think this guy was really, really fun and amazing, but history tells us that he was a brutal and a tyrannical leader. Well, all of a sudden, enter into the story Esther, a young woman whose parents died early in her life, who was raised by her older cousin Mordecai, her guardian. And all of a sudden, King Xerxes is done with his queen Vashti, and he moves on and makes Esther his queen. It's a classic rags to riches story. And Esther thought everything was going to be great until all of a sudden, a man rises to power, second to power, under King Xerxes' Persian empire by the name of Haman. And Haman was a racist. And he was passionate about exterminating the Jewish community. And so at such a time as this, God raised up Esther using Mordecai to save the Jewish people through a few dinner parties and a few miracles. It is an incredible story, but it's messy. It's complicated. It requires courage. And I know this to be true of you, that your comeback story, whatever you are coming back from, your comeback story will also be complicated and require courage. And so I want us to draw lessons from Esther today as we discover five truths about your complicated and courageous comeback. Let's jump into the book of Esther. Our first big idea is this. Your comeback will involve your past and your present. Your comeback will involve your past and your present. Let's look at the text together. It begins like this. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. 
During the time of Mordecai, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals of the presence of the king. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of the other nobles. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all the other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, Haman, and do with the people as you please. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, to, and to plunder their goods. Oh, wow. This story is jam-packed. And we discover very quickly that Esther's past and her present are an important part of the comeback story she is going to live in. What I mean is this, Esther grew up in a really difficult situation. Her mom and dad were dead. You see, Esther had no parents, she had no influence, and she had no power. Can I just talk to the kids and the students for a minute? There's some of you who, as you're tuning in right now, it feels like life is just horrible. You're not able to see your friends the way you used to. Schooling is so different. You're, you're at Zoom fatigue already and you're only a few weeks into school. Maybe there's things going on at home that are making it challenging right now. And you're beginning to believe that God is gone, that he's somewhere else. Well, kids and our students out there, I wanna remind you that God is not done with you. That God is still working behind the scenes in your life. And here's what's interesting. Let's talk about what Esther did have. Here, here's what Esther had. Esther had her Jewish community. She had Mordecai, her cousin who raised her. And most of all, she had God. Kids and students, you have a wanna. You have our Sunday morning videos that Pastor Lisa and Pastor Holly and storyteller Sarah are sharing 
Students, you have life groups on Wednesday nights. There are still opportunities for you to connect with God and to connect with each other. But what we learn from this story is that your pain will have a purpose in God's plans. Esther's pain of growing up without parents will be used through her relationship with Mordecai to ultimately save the people of Israel, to save the Jews. God will use your past and God will use your present because all of a sudden Esther becomes queen and she uses her influence. She uses her power to speak up. God is gonna use the present circumstance that you find yourself in. The current circumstance that she was in is a man named Haman, second in power to King Xerxes, that he has decided to weaponize his racism. That not only is he frustrated that Mordecai won't bow down, but because he's a part of the Jewish community, his racism and hatred of all of the Jews is about to be weaponized against them. And what tactics does Haman use? He uses anger and fear. Haman is angry and he instills fear in Xerxes. Brian Stevenson says this, when you make decisions rooted in fear and anger, you will tolerate oppression. You will tolerate inequality. You will tolerate injustice. Church, can I just ask you, where is their fear and anger in your heart? Because right after fear and anger come tolerating oppression, come tolerating inequality, and come tolerating injustice. Your comeback, point number two, your comeback will happen at an inconvenient time. Your comeback will happen at an inconvenient time. Let's pick it up in Esther chapter four. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews. With fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes because their destruction has been signed away. Their, their future is declared that they will no longer exist. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family 
will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Comebacks always cost something. Comebacks will always happen at inconvenient times. Esther has not seen the king in 30 days, but she is living that royal life. And then Mordecai makes it clear things are not okay outside of the kingdom. Our people are in trouble. Esther, you must do something. And she has great excuses for why she shouldn't get involved. And then she remembers the closeness that she has with Mordecai. It's why Dr. Eric Mason says, proximity breeds empathy. Distance breeds suspicion. When you are in proximity to people that are hurting, you are motivated to help them. You are motivated to bring support and to relieve that pain. And church, hear me as one of your pastors, I wanna lovingly say this. Comfort and convenience are not fruits of the spirit. Comfort and convenience are not evidence of a blessed life. No, Jesus said a blessed life are those who will be my peacemakers. Those who will enter into conflict and tension and difficult conversations. Who who will embrace that comebacks happen at inconvenient times. People who, who recognize and remember that God does his greatest work in our hardest seasons. I know some of you are in an overwhelmingly hard season of your life right now. And I probably can't even imagine all that you're going through. But I know this promise to be true because it shows up all over the scriptures and it's been so true in my life. This season, church, has been the hardest season to be a good husband, to be a good dad, to be a good pastor, to be a good leader. I imagine like many of you, I just just feel like a day feels like an entire week. But I'm holding on to this and I wanna encourage you to hold on with me that God is doing his greatest work in us, in our communities, in this season. It kind of reminded me of Uh, in, In Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil's book on Esther, she talks about Martin Luther King Jr.'s beginning and how inconvenient it was. She, She writes this. She said, consider Martin Luther King Jr. He did not plan to lead the civil rights movement, but when the movement needed a name and a spokesperson, Reverend King responded, the world was never the same. You may not be familiar with the entire story, but it began on December 1st, 1955, when a woman named Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Community activists needed a place to hold a meeting to plan the response, a proposed bus boycott. So they asked a young local minister for the use of his church to discuss the matter. That minister was Martin Luther King Jr. The community members met and agreed to a one-day boycott, which was so successful that they later agreed to extend the boycott. The Montgomery Improvement Association was formed to run the boycott, and King was asked to lead the organization. By some accounts, King was initially reluctant 
Although he planned to support the boycott, he probably had many valid reasons for why he shouldn't be the leader of that burgeoning movement. He was a pastor, a husband, a father of a baby daughter, and an intellectual who wanted to write books. But his proponents were not dissuaded. He seemed perfect for the job. He had the right education, the right background, and the right skills. It seemed to them that he was prepared in advance for this position. It was a divine appointment, they thought. And King was eventually persuaded. John Ortberg says, people who follow Jesus ask this question. God, what problem in your world would you like for me to address? What are the problems that you see out in our world right now? Maybe it's foster care. Maybe, did you know that there are just about 4,000 kids in the foster care system in the United States? And did you know that there are more than 400,000 churches in the United States? Did you know that that means that if every single church said, hey, we will adopt a single foster care child, that there would no longer need to be a foster care system? Maybe it's marriages that are struggling. Maybe it's homelessness or addictions. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's human trafficking. Maybe it's racial inequality. I don't know what it is for you, but did you know that if you're a part of Purpose Church and if you're tithing here at Purpose Church, meaning you're giving some of what God has given you to be a part of what God is doing here at Purpose Church, that you are actually addressing some of those issues. That God is using you through our adoption ministry, through our marriage ministry, through our youth ministries to meet the needs of the problems that are going on in our communities. And so maybe God's asking you to give, to donate, to, to trust, to begin tithing at Purpose Church because when you give here, your money goes further and farther faster. And maybe he's calling you to get involved and to serve. Number three, your comeback will require faith and Friends, Look at what happens in beginning Esther chapter 4 verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. On the third day, which if you've been around the church for a while, you know really cool things happen on the third day. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and he held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. 
Esther so boldly approaches the king, recognizing she could lose her life. This is why your comeback will require faith and friends. Here's where we discover that Esther is a woman after God's own heart, that she's a woman of faith. And and we discover that fasting and praying are not a way of avoiding the problems. They are a divine way of gearing up for the tall order that God has put on your life. You see, your comeback, your comeback is bigger than you. In fact, a God-sized vision will always be too big for you to carry alone. Can that just sink in for a minute? That a God-sized vision will always be too big for you to carry alone. Whatever problem in the world God has called you to embrace, it is too big for you to handle on your own. And maybe for some of you, that's parenting your kids right now. Maybe for others, it's finishing school. Maybe for others, it's, it's getting out of the generational brokenness and pain that your family has been in. Maybe it's starting that nonprofit or that new company. Whatever your comeback is, it is going to require you to have faith. And it's going to require you to have friends around you. You see, maybe for some of you, your comeback is, is coming back from that failed marriage. It's coming back from that difficult relationship with your child. It's coming back from not having any work. It's coming back from that addiction. In order to come back, you are going to need an Esther kind of faith. You're going to need to step into your prayer life, step into your relationship with God, step into new spaces, leaving behind the things that are getting in your way. And you'll have to do it with boldness, but don't do it alone. In fact, some of you, you've yet to take a step into a life group here at Purpose Church and you know your comeback. You know the God-sized vision that he has put on your heart, but you don't have anybody around you to help you in that. Could I encourage you to go to purposechurch.com slash groups and look up our opportunities for you to connect with some other people. Well, number four, number four, the, the fourth truth about your complicated and courageous comeback is this. Your comeback will be miraculous. Check out what happens next in our story. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. Oh, this suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bichthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. 
So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. Now let me pause there for a quick second. What happened in the story is uh, Haman approaches the king and says, we need to kill Mordecai. And the king says, oh no, we are going to celebrate Mordecai. And Haman is so angry about this. He's absolutely angry about this. As they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, this is where this girl just gets courageous and bold. Your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. I feel like the more you get to know Esther, you realize she would not have stayed quiet. But that's what she says here. Because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Two very important miracles happen at this point in the story. The first is completely out of Mordecai and Esther's control. You see, the king just couldn't sleep one night. And it was the night before he was going to make a decision about whether to kill Mordecai. He can't sleep. He, he begins to hear the stories of his own reign as king. And he's, he's brought, it's brought to his attention that Mordecai saved his life. And the timing on it is so perfect. But there's another miracle. It's the, it's, it's the miracle of God using the strategic leadership of Esther. You see, Esther went into the king's palace. And instead of initially saying what her grievance was, she prepared a meal for the king and Haman. She did it again to build that favor, to build that trust. You see, she was very intentional and strategic and God used that to perform a miracle that would ultimately lead to the salvation of the Jews. You see, your comeback will be miraculous. There will be some things that happen in your comeback that you go, I have no idea how that happened. And there will be other things, other miracles where you go, man, God just had me in the right time, in the right place at the right time. And you'll know what to say and you'll be bold and you'll watch God work through your story. Our job is to record those miracles. My wife, Sarah, is keeping a journal where it is her goal to record 10,000 examples of God blessing her life. Some of you need to get a blessing journal where you just start to write out the examples and, and experiences of God blessing you so that you don't miss the miracles that are happening in your comeback. And number five, the, the final truth about your complicated and courageous comeback is this. Your comeback will empower others. Your comeback will empower others. Let's finish our story. 
King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name. This is a way of saying King Xerxes could not overrule his his first edict, but he could write in a new one. And this one would be in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. The 10 sons of Haman, son of Hamadathah, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar and they put to death in Susa 300 men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. See, I find it really interesting that these Jews were given the opportunity to fight back and they were also given the opportunity to steal the property of those who were coming to annihilate them and they didn't. They defended themselves, but they didn't take the plunder. And what ended up happening is God used Esther and Mordecai's comeback to empower those Jews, to save Israel, because your comeback is so much bigger than you. It's like if you drop a rock in a really still lake and and you begin to see the ripples spread out farther and farther. That's what your comeback is going to be. Your comeback is going to break generational sin in your family. Your comeback is going to cast an entirely new vision for your family. Your comeback is going to change the culture of your workplace. Your comeback is going to restore your marriage that your future grandkids are going to be talking about your comeback will empower others. And here's here's the gospel moment. Jesus doesn't just save us from our sin. He saves us for his kingdom. So when I say your comeback will empower others, it's because that's how the gospel works. That's how the good news of Jesus works. That's the power of his death and his resurrection, that it saves you and I from our sin and it saves us for the work of the kingdom, of telling the whole world about Jesus, of pursuing righteousness and justice, that more of heaven would come to earth. Eugene Cho has this powerful, powerful quote. The gospel not only saves, but also pursues the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. If your gospel only saves, but makes no difference here on earth, then it's lopsided. Then it's, it's weak. The gospel saves sinners saves sinners from their sin, calls us to be saints for the purposes of his kingdom. Let me close with a story. 
A few weeks ago, one of our neighbors, Mr. Frank, he took a fall. And some ambulances came to the house, checked him out, and he was okay. And our kids were worried about him. And so Sarah and the kids had the idea to, to make some cookies for him and, and to write some cards. And so one evening, my oldest daughter, Brinley, who's six years old, Brinley and I walk over to his house to give him the cookies and, and to give him the, the cards. We knock on the door and he comes out and he's excited and, and grateful and is talking with Brinley. And then you've heard me tell lots of stories of Brinley. Brinley is our Esther in our family. She is so bold and courageous and it, it stuns us oftentimes. And we're sitting there, I'm sitting there with Brinley and Mr. Frank and, and Brinley looks at Mr. Frank and she says, Mr. Frank, do you know that Jesus loves you? I'm just going, oh my gosh, like here we go again, right? And he goes, yeah, Brindley, I know that Jesus loves me. And then she goes like this. She goes, no, Mr. Frank, do you know that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for you? And I mean, she's like drilling into him, right? I mean, she, she is intense. And Mr. Frank goes, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. I know that, Brindley. And then Brindley says this. She goes, oh, that's great news, Mr. Frank. That means when you die, we'll spend eternity in heaven together. And I'm going, Brindley, that is like not the encouragement he needs right now. And then she actually prays for Mr. Frank. And in the prayer, she says it again. She goes, Jesus, thank you that when Mr. Frank dies, we will spend eternity with him. And I'm going, Brinley, that is like not, that's like pastoral 101. You fail that class if you pray that way. And yet I love her boldness. As we were walking back to the house, she said, you know, daddy, I thought about not saying anything. I thought about just letting it go. But then I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to speak up. You see, she felt what Esther felt. And your comeback, oh, it'll be complicated. And it will require courage. But it will change you. And it will change the world.